If you've been with us during the sermon series, though, you've been knowing that we've been going uh, through the Ten Commandments with one another, and uh, that is, uh, we're going to head to the next one this morning. But before we get to that, if you, uh, if you have been the parent of a child that has been trying uh, to learn virtually recently, then you know that there is a lot of anger and frustration involved with that. You know, the, the technology doesn't work. You don't even know how to say schoology or schoology. Uh, your, your child is distracted and unmotivated. The baby's crying. The spaghetti's boiling over. You just feel overwhelmed and unqualified. And it's only been a couple of weeks, but man, it seems like a whole lot longer than that, right? But we already know, even in this short time, man, it's been a big change and a big challenge. And I think most of us have grown to appreciate teachers so much more right now because we quickly realize, you know what? I ain't cut out for this. I, I, it ain't me, you know? I, I love them so much more because I'm terrible with this. If your kid's anything like mine, uh, they learn differently and they act differently when they're with other people which makes this whole experience much more frustrating. It was bad enough when they just didn't listen, but now they're not doing schoolwork either. And, and there's this whole thing. It's just really frustrating. And you know they would be doing better in a classroom with somebody else. But you know what? <laughs> this is the best we can do right now. And we have no choice but to grit our teeth and press on and get through it. And as parents, we know this is hard on the kids too. It's not just us. I mean, my son is starting kindergarten this year, and so this is all new for him. There is, like, no new normal. This is just, well, this is just how it is, you know, and there's some sadness in that. But for you, maybe your son or daughter is transitioning to middle school from elementary or to high school from middle school, and so there's a transition. They don't even know where to go in the building, and there's no open house. It's just a lot of, like, confusion. And even if your child isn't going through any of that, there is no transition. It's just another year. It's not just another year, right? This struggle between virtual and in-person has been difficult for everybody. And so maybe your child needs individual instruction, or maybe they're on an individual learning plan, and this whole virtual thing is just not working out, right? It's just a really big struggle or a really big challenge. And whatever your situation is at home, your child really needs help navigating this. They're they're asking questions like, well, how do I do this? When is this going to be over? Uh, Can you help me with this, please? They need direction and assistance. And and as frustrated as we might get as parents, we know that shouting at them is not going to really help anything at all. And so life is full of challenges. This is just another, this is a big challenge, right? But this is just another Uh, challenge in our lives. And and the past few weeks, we've been talking about life's greatest challenges as we've gone through these commandments. And and we hope that it doesn't seem like we're shouting at you each week because we know that doesn't help, right? We really just want to share the truth in love and, and help you navigate through these challenges. And so these commandments, we've said, are the foundation for a loving, intimate relationship with our Creator as well as the people that are around us every day. We're talking about what it means to love God with all of our hearts, souls, and minds, and what it means to love others as well. And when Jesus came along, he said, all the law and all the prophets hinge on love God and love others. So all this stuff kind of boils down to that. Now, you may remember a verse that we talked about in the Villains series from Proverbs where Solomon said, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. And all these commandments mainly address behavior. Jesus made it clear that it's, he's actually concerned with your heart. He's concerned with a relationship with him. 
Because when there's an issue with your heart, then bad behavior isn't far behind. And so this week, we were looking at the commandment in Exodus 20.14. Now last week, we challenged you. It was a four-word commandment. We're stepping it up just a little bit here, and we're going with five. You shall not commit adultery. And much like last week, you might initially read that commandment and think to yourself, "Woo, I'm good. Last week, I didn't kill anybody, and I've never cheated on my spouse. And so I'm good. I can leave, and uh, I'll come back next week and see if I'm good. And if you want a spoiler alert, just to save you some gas, you can just go through Exodus 20 and just start reading them and, and just doing check marks, right? Like, all right, I'm good. I'm good, right? Like you, and, and we laugh, but like sometimes that's how people act, right? Like, well, I've never killed a guy. I've never cheated on anybody with my, you know, like I've never done any of that. Like, I'm, I'm okay, and that's what the Pharisees and religious leaders during Jesus' time kind of felt like too. I mean, they had the Ten Commandments and then a bunch of rules and laws they put on top of that. But they kind of felt like, okay, I am following all of these things and I'm good. I, I, this is how I'm going to achieve my salvation. This is how I'm going to be uh, going to heaven is by following these rules. The problem is when Jesus came along, it kind of became evident that their hearts were a little misguided. And although they kept all of these commandments, all of these rules, they were missing the point. They were missing that God wants your heart and a relationship more than just some rule following. And so in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus kind of, we talked about this last week a little bit, he made it clear that it wasn't just rule following, there was more to it. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's a little bit different, right? Now we're getting a little more close, a little more personal, because uh, that's not just, I haven't done it. It's, if you think about it, it's a, it's a problem, right? Uh, can you imagine being in the crowd that day and just having your entire like worldview and religious view just like shattered right there by that one statement? Like, I like to imagine Jesus being like, hey, all right, raise your hand if you've, ever, if you've never uh, committed adultery. And all the hands go up, or like all excitedly. And then he says this, if you've ever had lustful thoughts, keep your hand raised. Or if you've never had lustful thoughts, keep your hand raised. And they like sheepishly like look around like it all goes down, right? I mean, they, it changes how everything goes. And Maybe this was the start of the religious people not liking Jesus. I mean, if I think I'm doing everything right in my life, and I'm following these rules, I'm dedicated to these rules, and somebody, this kind of new guy that I really don't know, I haven't heard much about, I just heard that he's saying some different things, I don't know much about him, he comes along, he's claiming some authority, and he comes and says this, that now it's not just the act, it's the thoughts too, then I have two choices in how I react. I can feel convicted and change my point of view and go, oh, okay. Or I can get angry with the person that said it and call them a blasphemer and, and try to snuff them out. And that's the type of thing that still happens today, right? When you hear a sermon, you, you can feel convicted by the Holy Spirit and you can look to repent and change your ways, or you can get defensive and say the preacher's a hack and, and fi- figure out some sort of loophole that gets you off the hook, some way to explain away your actions. And we like to support things that align with our worldview, the way that we think it should be, and denounce the things that don't, even if sometimes those same words or actions, like they're the same, they're just said by somebody different. 
So I hope this morning that we'll lean more towards the conviction and repentance side and less towards the preacher as a hack side, please, uh, as we look at some of the areas that can get a little bit uncomfortable to talk about, right? Some of this stuff is all over the place in our world today, and so it can get a little uncomfortable, and, and I hope that that won't keep you from listening. Because our world today gives us more access an opportunity to the world of lust and adultery than any other time. We have more devices to access it on, more ways to hide it, more ways to connect with people. I mean, there are, like, there's certain, your browser can hide your history, and there's, Snapchat will hide your messages. Like, there's more way to cover up your tracks than ever before, too. It's easier than ever before to commit the physical act of adultery, let alone lust for others in our hearts. And, and, Working in the sex and pornography industry is becoming more and more accepted with the term sex worker being used more as more in the public eye and legislators are even looking to give them more respect and more rights and make it a, a more valid employment opportunity. Our society is pushing the message more and more that we should be free to do whatever we want with our body and nobody or no law or no Jesus can tell me differently. If I want to work in the sex industry... I can work in the sex industry. That's okay. If I want to sleep with a man or a woman, no matter whether I'm a man or a woman, I can sleep with whomever I like. If I want to have an abortion, it's my body and it's my choice. If I want to cheat on my spouse or, or my significant other, that's okay because you know what? Monogamy, that is like a, that's an archaic ideal. That's not real anymore. If I want to have sex before marriage, then it's okay because it's unrealistic, really, to expect teenagers and young adults to wait because, you know, hormones, like, how can you expect that? And these are all things that I, I hear and see regularly, whether it's in person or online, and it makes you wonder and kind of scared for where we're headed. But the thing is, these aren't new issues in our world. They're not new issues to God either. In Romans 1.24, Paul says, So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful thing their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. And then in verse 26, he says, That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against their natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a, result of the, as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. I'll read that, and I think, boy, that's, that's kind of what we're dealing with today, right? That's kind of the way our world looks. And we could come up with a bunch of different reasons of why we are where we are today in our society, but I think we can all agree that it's a heart issue, right? It's a spiritual issue. It's a mind issue, both in Rome during Paul's time when he wrote this and in our world today, we have people all over the place that don't know Christ and people who aren't following Christ that do know him. And they're given into their shameful desires. And unfortunately, that doesn't exclude those of us in the church either. Because it didn't in Paul's time when he, when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 5, he's, he's writing a letter to the church right? Important to remember, it's to the church, and he says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even the pagans don't do. Then he says in chapter 6, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. 
That is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality, which means that some people were saying this, that it's, well, God made us this way. Our bodies were made for this. Paul says they were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Let me remind you again, this is to the church. So we're not immune from feelings of lust and acts of adultery. So again, I hope this morning as we continue that we don't just look to cast stones at people that aren't in our church or the people in the world, but realize that we too, as much as anybody else, need, area, need the grace of Jesus in some areas of our life. Because we all struggle with this challenge, and it's a challenge of purity. And my aim today is not to judge anybody for your past mistakes or maybe something that's going on right now, because that's a little bit above, above my pay grade. Because God, that's God's job, right? I'm not here to judge you. My aim is to share that what I believe God's word says and to lead you, really lead all of us to repentance, to right thinking and living and to a deeper faith. Because we're all in this culture together. We all have all the stuff in our society. We're all dealing with it together. So let's do it together. Now, to explain what the seventh commandment is all about, I have a little bit of a story to tell you. Uh, I heard it not too long ago, and it's a story about a little boy named Sam. And so we have Sam, and he has a best friend named Billy. Well, Sam's birthday is coming up, and his mom says, hey, Sam, what do you want to do for your birthday? It's coming up on Friday. What do you want to do? Sam said, mom, I want to have a party. And I want my best friend, Billy, to come. And I want Billy to spend the night. And then tomorrow, on Saturday, I want dad to take us out fishing. Just, just that's what I want to do. Oh, okay, his mom said. Uh, is there anybody else that you want to invite then? No, just Billy, because Billy is my best friend. And so the next day at school, Sam sees Billy and he goes, hey, I'm going to have a great party on Friday for my birthday, and I want you to come and spend the night with me and hang out, and then we're going to go fishing the next day with my dad. Oh, it's going to be great. Will you come? And Billy said, yeah, I'll come to your party. I, 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 I'd love to do all of that. I love fishing. Let's do it. Like, I'd love to come over. I promise I'll come over. And man, Sam was so happy because that would have been a little awkward, right? Billy was like, no, I'm good, right? Like, no, but Sam was so happy that his best friend was coming. A couple days later, another friend of Billy's named Mark came up to him and said, oh, hey, Billy, I'm having a party. It's going to be at Chuck E. Cheese, and a lot of kids are coming. Everybody's going to be there. It's going to be great. And, and after the party, we're going to spend the night in my backyard in tents, and we're going to roast s'mores, and it's going to be awesome. And Billy was like, oh, this, this sounds great. He goes, well, when is it? When's the party? And Mark said, oh, it's going to be on Friday. Oh, and now we're in like a little bit of a dilemma. I don't know if any of you have ever like, you have this offer, and then a better one comes along. You're like, well, that sounds much better. And, and Billy doesn't want to do because he's like, I love Chuck E. Cheese. I love s'mores. Like, this sounds like a, just like it's going to be a better party. And, and so he, now he's conflicted. But now he's, the reason there's a conflict is because he promised. He didn't just say. He said he promised that he would go to Sam's party. And a few minutes later, he sees Sam on the pr playground. Now, as an adult, as adults, I feel like we, we're not like this. We're not direct. We're like, we have this conundrum, and we battle with it for like the whole week, and then we just end up like not showing up to a friend's house, and we're like, oh, sorry, I forgot, right? But, uh, but no, but Billy was direct, and he goes to Sam on the playground and said, Sam, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can make it to your party on Friday. Well, why not, said Sam. 
Well, because Mark, I mean, you should go to this. Mark is having this party at Chuck E. Cheese and sleeping out in the backyard in tents, and there's s'mores, Sam, s'mores. It's going to be great. I'd really like to go to Mark's party. Man, you can imagine Sam was crushed. He invited one person, and he promised he would be there. He didn't know what to say, so he, he just didn't say anything. He just walked away. But man, when he came home from school that day, he just burst through the door, and he was crying, and he cried, and he cried, and he said, Mom, Billy said he was coming to my party. He promised. He was, he's my best friend. He promised he'd be there. And he cried, and then after a while, Sam, the, the tears turned to anger. He said, you know what? I don't care if Billy comes to my party anymore. I hate him, and he's never going to be my best friend again. Well, Billy, he was conflicted. He wasn't very happy when he went home either. He's really working through this. He doesn't know what to do. And he promised he would go to Sam's party. But man, he really wanted those s'mores. No, he really wanted to go to Mark's party. And so he went and asked his dad, right? He needs some fatherly advice. And he said, Dad, I have a problem. I promised Sam I'd go to his party. But Mark, man, he asked me to come to his too. And I really want to go to that one instead. I mean, it's a Chuck E. Cheese, Dad, and there's s'mores. And everybody's sleeping in the tents. And it's going to be great. What should I do? His dad just sat back and said, hmm, your dad ever said that to you? Hmm. And I think sometimes as a dad, you just say that because you don't know what you're going to say. You're like, hmm, what am I doing? All right, so he says, hmm, so you made a promise and then you got a better offer, right? Okay, well, Billy, uh, what what if tomorrow I got a better offer for a wife? And you know, there's a lot of smart and pretty women that work in my office, and they're pretty friendly. So, like, I, 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 I that probably, and it might be a better offer. I could explore that. And Billy said, you can't do that, Dad. You made a promise to Mom. And Dad said, that's right. And that's why we need to le- learn to keep our promises even when we're young. So the next morning, Billy saw Sam at school and said, Sam, I'm really sorry. It, 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 if you'll still have me, I, I want to come to your party on Friday. I, I want to come for your birthday, and I'm sorry about all that, but now I want to come. Man, Sam and Billy had so much fun at Sam's party that, that Billy didn't even think about Chuck E. Cheese or tents or s'mores or any of that. And the next day they went fishing with Sam's dad, and they caught a fish that was so big, it was bigger than they'd ever caught, and it took both of them to reel it in the boat. And a few days later, Billy got a thank you note in the mail from Sam, and it said, Dear Billy, Thank you for making my birthday party the best I had ever had. And it was the best party that Billy had ever had as well. And he felt good inside. He he was so glad he had gone to Sam's party, and he was so glad that he had kept his promise. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because that's exactly what the seventh commandment is about. No, not about Sam or Billy or Mark, but we're going to be talking about your great challenge of purity is to keep your promise. And this, this means the same thing for kids as it means for adults and everything in between. Our great challenge with purity is to keep your promise. So what does it mean to live out this commandment? How do we stay pure and keep our promise? Well, number one, we have to win the battle with our mind. Jesus made it clear that this is a battle with our mind. Bad behavior often starts in the mind and in your thought life. And that's, that's why Paul said, take every thought Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Because that's where it starts, right? You see something, the the thoughts start coming in, right? And the thoughts don't have to lead to something, but very often they do. If we don't take our thoughts captive, 
then it leads to disobedience and bad behavior. That's why Paul also said that no temptation has ever seized you except what is common to man. You may be tempted, but if you can take the thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, it doesn't have to lead to disobedience. This is what makes this one of the greatest challenges of our life because sexual sin isn't just a behavior. It starts in our thoughts. And to win this battle with the mind, we have to make up, make up our mind that this is a battle that we can win. We don't have to submit to it. It's not just how we're made or how we're wired. or It's just hopeless. We can win this battle because we have God's Word and we have, the, we have Jesus and His example. We have the Holy Spirit and we have every reason to make up our minds. You know what? I'm going to win this battle against my thoughts. We don't have to allow our thoughts to lead to lust. We can choose to stop it before it leads us to disobedience. We just need a why. We need a, a, a motivation, a, a reason to convince us to stop our thoughts in our tracks. We can think of our spouse or our children or our family or our friends as reasons to win this battle. They are our why, and our promise to them and to God is our why. As we fight this battle, there are two truths that we have to remember. The first is that God gave us this good gift of our sexuality. Last week we read Genesis 1.27, which says, So God created mankind in his own image, and the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. So our sexuality comes from God, and our sexuality includes our capacity to be sexual in a loving, intimate relationship. It's who we are, and our gender is determined at the moment of conception. We can't change our biological gender. As much as people might tell you that you can, you can't. And so sex, then, is how we express our sexuality in a marriage relationship. Think of this. The first sexual thought that, was, that there ever was in history, it came from the mind of God. And it was absolutely pure because it was from God. In his creative genus, he creates a man and then puts the man to sleep. And from the man's side, he creates a woman. And then God brings the, the woman to the man to live together with him and, and to populate the world with him and to live under God's blessing and favor. And God performs the first wedding ceremony. And in this ceremony, it's not just the union of man and woman, but a reunion of what God has made. Genesis 2.24 says that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united, united to his wife, and they become one flesh. In marriage, a husband and wife are to come together in heart and soul and body. And there's an old Anglican wedding prayer that says, strengthen the union of their hearts by the union of their bodies. Our sexuality is a good gift from God. He made us, male and female, and what God has joined together, let no man separate. The second truth to help us in this battle with our mind against our, and against our thoughts is that we live with the consequences of a fallen sexuality. If we want to win this battle with our mind, remember that every day that you wake up, you have work to do. There's no day that you're ever going to wake up and be like, I don't have to even think about that today. I mean, especially not in our world, right? Right? There, is, there is constantly messages and images and all kinds of things being thrown at us and people that we work with and people, you know, it's just all kinds of things. There's never a day that you can wake up and go, I'm good. I don't have to worry about that today. And that's kind of depressing, but it also helps to know that, right? Like if you're going to fight a battle, it's best to go in prepared. 
Because every day the effects of a fallen sexuality are all around us. This means that every day we're going to be tempted to take God's good gift of sexuality and misuse it or abuse it. And this means that we'll be tempted to take God's good gift of sexuality and instead of using it in marriage to express our love for our spouse, we'll be tempted to use it outside of our marriage for our own satisfaction and pleasure. If we take this good gift of if this good gift outside of marriage with another person, or we try to use this gift outside of marriage on our own, then it will be harmful and destructive. And like many things, sex is designed with a specific purpose in mind, a specific use in mind. And when it's not used properly, well, then it, le- it causes pain and destruction. A car was designed for transportation to get us from point A to point B but it can be very dangerous if it's not used properly. A gun, a knife, scissors, glue, whatever, all these things are designed to be used for specific purposes, but are harmful if they're not used for that purpose. And sex is the same way. When we try to use sex in a way that God didn't intend, pain and destruction will follow. A lot of the major issues in our world today can be traced back to this idea of fallen sexuality. Abortion and homosexual activity and extramarital affairs and multiple sexual partners, STDs, on down the list. All of these things are the result of using sex in a way that God did not intend. And as a result, pain and destruction have followed. And this applies not just to physical acts and and, and sexual acts like that, but it also applies to pornography because pornography, it causes adultery of the mind. When we give in to temptation and open up that browser, we're cheapening what God has created. It's no longer this good gift. It's just a cheap thing. Part of our fallen sexuality is that we have stopped viewing sex as something to be shared between a man and a woman and made it purely for our own gain. It's not mutual. It's not special. It's just satisfying our own desires. But that's not the only thing about pornography. Pornography also changes your thoughts. Your memory starts filling up with the images and the videos that you watch. The the way that you view and treat the opposite sex changes. The the way that you view and treat your wife or your husband changes. And I believe that it's no accident that as pornography has become more accessible, domestic violence, rape, and sexual assault cases have also increased. Your expectations change and your idea of what sex is supposed to be changes. It's going to cause you to view sex as a release for your own pleasure instead of an expression of love. And it reduces your ability to express that love for your wife or your husband. And this is why I think it's so important. It's going to be super awkward to talk to teenagers or, you know, like it's, you don't want to introduce it, but sometimes you're so far behind the game then that it's too late, right? If we're going to say that pornography changes your view of sex and the way you look at it and your kid has been watching it for four years and you don't even know, then it's already there, right? And it's not hopeless. We can, you can overcome it. But I'm just saying, sometimes as parents, we don't want to have the tough conversations. Sometimes the tough conversations save us from stuff, the tougher conversations down the road. And so if you have somebody, in, a, a boy or a girl, right, in, in middle school, starting there, I might start thinking about having that conversation. Because what I see is every day, younger and younger it happens. And, and sometimes it's just the restrictions need to start happening a little earlier than we think. But we know, as adults, that we need to stay away from it. You already know that pornography can be a dangerous and destructive addiction, just like any of the other substances we see 
around us every day. So we need to put restrictions on our phones and our laptops and our iPads, and we need to take extreme measures to stay away from it. And and that passage that we looked at earlier from Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is talking about adultery and lust, he goes on to say right after that, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, pencils and pens down. I don't want any eye gouging happening this morning, whether to yourself or from the person next to you. But uh, that's not what we're saying. You know, but sometimes the, what that says is that winning the battle may require you to make some radical changes, but that's what it's going to take to overcome it. And maybe you need to move the computer to a different place in your house. Maybe you need to get rid of your smartphone. Maybe you need to get rid of your laptop. I don't know what it looks like for you, right? But if you're struggling with this, I would rather go through life without an iPhone, a laptop, or an iPad, or have to have my computer in the middle of the busy room than to end up in a divorce, or end up having to explain to my kids what happened, right? Or essentially, I be maybe eventually thrown into hell because I didn't cut off or gouge out my eye. This is a battle we have to fight. God gave us the good gift of of sexuality, including the physical act of sex, because we live every day with the consequences of sin all around us. Remember this and be ready to fight the battle. Make up your mind that you're going to win, that you can win. It's not hopeless, because the gospel is about full victory both now and in eternity. Paul prayed in 1 Thessalonians 5, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. With the help of Jesus, we can overcome this battle of our mind. And the second way that we can keep this commandment and and keep our promise is we need to grow in our affection. Affection. Sexual sin, it stems from selfish desire. And selfish desire will seek out opportunity. But as we grow, grow in our affection... Selfish desire should lessen. And as my affection grows for Christ, his desires start to become my desires. And what I once longed for, I want less now. Instead, I want to love God and love others the way that he loves me, the way that he has modeled for me. The closer we get to Jesus, the easier it is to take our thoughts captive. And as I grow in my affection for my spouse, I'm less likely to start looking elsewhere for a better option. In our modern world, infidelity is easier than, than ever. I have a couple slides here. I don't know if you can really see too well, but it's, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. Man or woman, it's happening. It doesn't matter a day of the week. Uh, it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't matter whether it's a friend or a stranger. Uh, all kinds of, it doesn't matter how much you make. All kinds of things. Uh, next slide, Tanya. Uh, you know, women have these fantasies. Men have these fantasies. Uh, I mean, it, it doesn't even matter if you're a pastor, right? There's all kinds of infidelity around us and opportunities for it all the time. It's never been easier. And so it doesn't matter who you are or what you look like or whether you're a man or a woman or what you do for a living. If you have that selfish desire, you can seek out the opportunity. Because we can reconnect with old flames on Facebook. We can swipe right on Tinder. We can send lewd messages that disappear on Snapchat. Or just have a texting relationship with a coworker, Somebody of the opposite sex. And our spouse might never know or never suspect it. 
The fact is, if your heart is in the right place, it isn't in the right place, you have plenty of options to be looking for options. If I'm looking for the opportunity, if I'm seeking that out and I'm listening to my selfish desire, eventually I'm going to find it, right? If I'm just looking for an opportunity, eventually I will find the opportunity. But why live that way? Why live every day wondering what it would be like to be with somebody else? Yes, there are situations where, where marriages are not great, where being married to the other person is dangerous and it's unhealthy. That's not really what I'm here to talk about today. I'm talking about where you're married to somebody who's a great parent and they're trying every day to pour into your marriage and all the time you're just looking for a way out and looking out for yourself. When we live that way, we're just setting ourselves up for this infidelity. And even if it's not physical or sexual, you just don't get to that point. There are plenty of people having emotional affairs out there wishing they were married to somebody else that they know. We have to grow in our affection for our spouse. We have to find areas that you can, you can improve and show how, how you feel about them. Show your affection for them. Figure out what their love language is and pour into that. And if there are issues, then show your affection and your willingness to work them out, even if that means seeking professional counseling together. Fight for your promise. Go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and look how Paul describes what love is. It was probably read at your wedding, but have you read it since? Have you looked at it and is it something that you're living by today? That's the love that Jesus Christ has for each one of us, and it's the love that we should have for our spouse. Paul told husbands in Ephesians 5.25 to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we should commit, commit to loving our spouse and keeping our promise to stay pure because we are told to model the way that Christ loves us. And that means that my love and my commitment for my spouse should look the way that Christ loves me. We're patient with them. We keep no records of wrong. We're not proud. And on down the list. We should also not just grow in our affection for our spouse, but grow in our affection for Christ. Because as we grow in our affection for Christ, our desires will change, and we can keep that promise of purity. I used to think, I don't know if this is you. I used to have this view of marriage that like when I got married, it was going to be awesome because uh, this person would know everything about me. We would share everything. I mean, we would sleep in the same bed. And so of course you'll know everything about me and we'll have no secrets and it'll be great. And we'll just, we'll just have picnics together and everything will be awesome, right? And uh, it'll be great. But there's a funny thing about marriage that I think you only realize once you get married is that that's not what happens. You might go on picnics. But, uh, but what I realized once I got married is she doesn't know everything about me. Like, I, I thought she would know all my childhood memories and all my likes and dislikes and just everything, right? All my secrets. Uh, and my wife doesn't know everything about me. And I'm not ready to reveal some, like, big secret to you, so, like, don't put it on YouTube or anything. But I think that's true for all of us, right? When we look at our marriage, your spouse doesn't know everything. Thing about you because that's impossible. And really, if you tried it, you would be annoying. Like if you tried to tell your thought, your spouse every thought you had or every feeling you had or everything you said in a day, they would probably tell you to shut up, right? Or they would fall asleep while you're talking, right? That, it's just impossible. But you know who does know all that stuff? Is Jesus. 
Jesus knows every word you've said. Jesus knows every thought you've had, every feeling you've had. Jesus knows everything you've ever had, right? And will ever have. Everything that goes through your brain. Some of the things you don't want to tell, right? Jesus knows. And despite all of that, he still loves you in an unfailing way. The same way that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13. And that should make us grow in our affection for Jesus. And that is how we should be living, or loving our spouses. The way that Jesus so unconditionally and unfailingly loves us despite our mistakes is the way we should love our spouse. Now, you may be sitting there if you're not married and think, well, he's only talking to the married people this morning. I can fall asleep or get on my phone or whatever. If so, you would be wrong. So you can tune back in and listen up. Because whether you're married or single or just, will he pop the question already, right? The first and most important promise that you keep is to God and to Jesus. That comes before anybody else, right? Even a married person, your first promise is to God. So if you're not, if you're not married yet, right? Even if you have no prospects, your promise is to God and to Christ. And so if you're single and it helps, you can look at it as I'm keeping a promise to my future spouse, right? But your first promise is to God. Because whatever our relationship status is, we are all the bride of Christ. So we have to grow in our affection for our spouse and grow in our affection for our Savior no matter what. No matter what it is, where you're at. In Genesis 39, we have a, a perfect example of a young, single guy who keeps his promise to God and his future spouse. And uh, his name is Joseph. You might remember him. He uh, had some issues with his brothers. Uh, he had a really cool-looking coat, though. But, uh, but his brothers are, sell him into slavery, which was an alternative to killing him. Uh, so he had some family issues. But, uh, but here he is. So he works hard after being sold into slavery. And he, he works, he rises up the ranks in the, the government. And he eventually gets in the household of Potiphar. And one fateful day, uh, Mr. Potiphar is out getting groceries or something. And Mrs. Potiphar tries to seduce Joseph. And she says, come to bed with me. Oh man, if you was looking for selfish desire and opportunity, boom, this was it, right? This is, it, it presented itself. And Joseph could have easily given in and went to bed with her. See, he didn't even have a promise to make to a spouse. He wasn't married yet. So like, some would say he was free and clear, right? It's on her. But he didn't. Why? Because he loved God and had made a promise to him. He said in Genesis 39, 10, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God. Not sin against Mrs. Potiphar, not sin against Mr. Potiphar, sin against God. And the Bible says that she persisted day after day, and every time he said no. And when she finally got close enough to grab him, you know what he did? He ran. He took off. Boom. Out of there. Left the cloak in her hands. So he's running naked across the field. That's, I mean, we're talking about gouging out eyes and stuff. He's like, I'm out. I'm, I don't, I got to get away from here. And he, even though he ran, right, she's got the cloak now, she frames him for coming on to her, and he goes to prison for it. But at least he could live with this conscience, knowing that he had kept his promise to God, and he was still holy and pure in the eyes of God. See, Joseph saw his potential actions as a sin against God. I mean, he called it what it was. There was no mincing of words. And we, too, need to see our own sexual misuse in thought, emotion, and deed. That is, any sex outside of the relationship that God designed as a sin against our Savior and a sin against our spouse or our future spouse. 
And how do we do this? By growing in affection for our Savior Jesus. By growing in affection for your spouse. You know, the great American preacher Thomas Chalmers talked about the expulsive power of a new affection. And Chalmers lived from 1780 to 1847. There's an article on Google about him that says, Chalmers argues carefully that only when Christ becomes the delight of the human heart will the old sinful desires begin to lose their grip over us. This new affection, our captivation with the beauty and glory of Jesus, has power to expel all other loves, loves from our hearts. Find, a, find that new affection for Jesus and his beauty and his glory. Renew and grow in your love for him. He knows everything about you. Everything. Every thought, every sin, every word that you've said. And yet he still died to redeem you. All of you, spirit, soul, and body. And he's the only one who can cleanse you and redeem you of what you've done or what you thought or what you said. No matter how hard we might try to save ourselves, only Jesus can redeem us and wash us clean. We need to find a new affection for your spouse. Put the time in to work on your relationship with the person that you committed and promised to spending your life with instead of spending your life longing for somebody else. Stop looking at the greener grass and start watering your own. As we wrap up this morning, I want to, to leave you with two last things. And the first thing is that keeping your promise, it's not always easy, but it's always worth it. If you've been married any amount of time, I think sometimes you would say, this is the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's the most worth it thing I've ever done. There's things in marriage that you have to explore that you never would have thought of exploring with anybody else. There's things you have to work through because you kept, you're keeping your promise, Right? It's not always easy, but it's always worth it. And if you're abusing or misusing your sexuality or you're involved in some kind of affair, whether it's physical or emotional, you need to stop. You need to stop doing it today and start keeping the promise that you made. Even if it means doing something extreme to cut it out of your life, you need to change and do a 180 back to Jesus. Because this is called repentance and we're told to repent of our sin. We're told to confess our sin. So if there's something you're tied up in, you need to stop it. And I would say you need to confess what's going on. Which brings us to number two. And that is to forgive the one who has hurt you. You know, up until this point, we've been talking about the, 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 the person that's doing the action, right? Haven't really talked too much about the victim of what's going on. And I know that's really hard. And it's really easy, easy for me to say to forgive the one who has hurt you. There's some awful things that people do that, that people put us through. But if, if your spouse decides that they want to fight and win the battle, whatever that might look like, then you need to help them. If they want to overcome it, if they want to work on it, then you can forgive. If they're repentant, forgive them like Christ has forgiven you. You know, there's a lot of things that we have trouble forgiving but it's the moment that I look at forgive others as Christ has forgiven me that I go, all right, Christ has forgiven me a lot and continues every day and will continue every day to forgive me of a lot. And so I can work on this because I'm told to, to forgive others the way that Christ has forgiven me. And I know that that's really hard and it may not be immediate and you might have to work through some stuff, but Christ has forgiven you so many more times. You can at least work on forgiving 
of this. Because in Ephesians 4, Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Let's pray. Father, I, uh, I, I pray for the marriages in this room. And I, I pray that we would focus on growing in affection for our spouse, focus on staying pure and keeping our promise to our spouse. And I know sometimes we don't take our thoughts captive and we let the temptation come in and it leads to disobedience. Father, I, I pray that if that is us this morning, that's, if, it, if that's something that we're dealing with this morning, I, I pray that we would stop and repent and come back to you and know that we can win the battle, that it's worth fighting the battle, but we have to start it. Father, if we're on the other side of that, I, I pray that you would be with the victims of these things because a lot of times it's not our fault. It's not, uh, it's not anything to do with us. We were trying, but Father, I, I pray that you would come in that situation and bring peace and strength to forgive we know it's really hard to forgive us. You know everything about us, and yet you still do. And so, Father, I pray that it would, you would give us the strength in that to forgive those that have wronged us. Father, I pray most of all, no matter where we're at in our life, that we would view this as keeping our promise to you. That we would stay pure because we have been redeemed by Jesus, by his sacrifice, and we would see that he went through so much of us that I can fight this battle. I can keep my promise to you. Father, I pray that wherever we're at, that you would, wherever we're at in our marriage, wherever we're at in our life, whatever we're struggling with, that we would feel convicted this morning if there's something going on, but that you would give us the strength to fight it, the strength to go through it, and that we would know that no matter what, we are forgiven and you love us. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to finish up with one last song, and uh, during this time I'll be down in front here on the right with a mask on, and uh, I know some of this is heavy stuff, and if it's not anything that you've ever dealt with or whatever, I, I, you're a blessed person. But I know by looking at those statistics and others that that's not many people. And, and so if there's something that you're dealing with right now, then I, I, I hope that, that you will... Seek Jesus out in it. Seek forgiveness. And maybe it means seeking forgiveness from your spouse too and confessing your sins. And I know that's really hard. I know nobody wants to do that. But eventually it catches up. Like I said, all this stuff eventually leads to pain and destruction. And uh, sometimes it's, it's tough decisions that need made. So if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ and you heard this and you're like, I'm feeling something right now, right? And you feel like you want to talk about that a little bit more, I'd love to talk to you down front here. Uh, and if you want to be baptized, you know, as a part of that, then we can do that today too. Uh, if you want to be a, a member of Gateway here and what we got going on, uh, we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you a part, be a part of what God is doing through us in this community. Uh, we'd love to talk to you a little bit more about being a member here. And then like I said, this is heavy stuff, and if there's something going on in your life right now that you need somebody to talk with or, or pray with you over it, uh, I'll, I would love to do that. Uh, 
Steve is not here today, but he'll be here this week. And so maybe you want to come talk to Steve about it. He would love, you know, that's why we're here is to talk you through some things. And sometimes it doesn't happen on a Sunday morning. It happens on a Tuesday night. I don't know. But we're always here. We always want to, to be able to pray with you guys through things uh, and, and help you in that way. So um, if, that, if that's you in any of those ways and you, that's, and you want to respond in some way, I'll be down front. Uh, but let's stand and sing our final song.